I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. I am so excited about today's conversation because it is with an individual that absolutely loves his job. And it's a job that he has shaped in all of his roles because there never was a clear roadmap to it. And he has been exceptional in the outcomes he has created. Well, I hope you're now saying, well, Carol, Carol, tell me, who is this wonderful person? His name is David Casey. He's Chief Inclusion and Social Impact Officer at Tapestry. Now, you may not know the parent company Tapestry, but you certainly, if you're a woman, you know and probably love their brands, Kate Spade, Coach, and Stuart Weitzman. The company has nearly $7 billion in sales. It distributes around the globe in over 70 countries and has over 18,000 employees. Now, you'll also hear about Tapestry's purpose, Stretch What's Possible. Very carefully chosen because, as David says, it's good to stretch. It's good to create tension. And, of course, the great name of the company, Tapestry, we'll learn more about that because it's many threads woven into one story. This is a wonderful conversation, so let's get started. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me on the show, and thank you for being a consumer. Oh, yeah, I I love being a consumer. Yeah. So, David, just share with our listeners the various roles you've had, and also, I've learned that they're all, they all seem to be newly created positions. So you're really a molder of of clay and shaping people. So please share. Yeah, Carol, I'm, I'm going on, I think, my 22nd year of leading this work in a corporate environment. I got my first job leading uh, diversity, if you will, at a company called Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I was there as their uh, chief diversity officer for about eight years. And I moved on from there to CVS Health and uh, had the opportunity to uh, lead diversity there for 12 years. And I'm going on my one year anniversary here at Tapestry. And as you mentioned, you know, each one of those opportunities for me was an opportunity to build out what the organization would be doing in this space. There was no predecessor. Um, so that's been incredibly important and powerful for me because I like to build. I'm a, I'm a builder. I'm an innovator. I like to create. So it's been a wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. And of course, here at Tapestry, you know, the company had been focused on the work before I joined the company. But as a formal function, uh, the, the role and the function were created just a few years ago. And I am the, per- the first person to hold the, uh, the, the title Chief Inclusion and Social Impact Officer here. Love the title. So when you get this new opportunity, you probably have a cadence of ways that you begin to shape the role and responsibility. So can you share that? Because I'm sure their listeners are going like, I want that kind of job. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, and, and if anybody's looking to get into this space, I would highly encourage you to do so because it's extremely gratifying, both personally and professionally. So I would say, you know, the cadence I typically think about, Carol, is uh, one, first coming in to learn, you know, there, I, I do have a specific, 
you know, methodology and, and, and the framework that I've leveraged over the course of my career. But I can't implement any of that until I understand who the company is, what the company's about, what are they trying to accomplish, and then meeting with the leadership and lead, meeting with associates to find out what they're trying to accomplish. So do you have any sort of special types of either listening tours or research that you do? Do you do one-on-ones? Do you do focus groups? I want to, I want to dive a little deeper because you're talking about very active listening. Yeah. So, you know, when I joined Tapestry, there was actually a very structured and well-designed onboarding plan. It was say I had about a one inch thick binder (laughs) with (laughs) all of the key meetings that I needed to have, starting with senior leadership and then working my way through the organization. And and look, Carol, I'll be honest with you, as a company of 18,000 employees across the globe, I'm still working on that onboarding uh, to a certain extent and getting out and meeting people. And I'll be going over to um, uh, Europe here in a little bit, and then I'll be doing a tour of APAC. So the onboarding continues, but it's a very well-structured process that started with senior leadership. I have a dual reporting relationship to the global chief people officer and the CEO. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. It was, and that spoke volumes to me about how the company is positioning the work, right? So uh, a lot of it is spending time with senior leaders and really having them explain to me what their strategic objectives are, what their annual plans are, what their long-term plans are. And then it's going out and meeting with, uh, you know, just other associates in the business. Because I want to get, I think it's important, Carol, to get perspectives from all angles of the organization. It's one thing to understand what leadership is trying to accomplish, but it's also important to understand how everyday associates at every level in the organization actually experience what those strategies are. So how do you get to the front line? Yeah, a good majority of our employee uh, population as well as frontline being defined as our uh, store associates. And then we also have several distribution and fulfillment centers as well. But I, I literally, I go out and spend time with them. I just spent my most recent trip out in the field was in Seattle in our Auburn and Bellevue markets. And I'll tell you what, Carol, you know, they were excited to have a corporate leader come out to visit the market. But the excitement was all mine. I left there so <laughs> energized. <for> you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I left there so energized and so empowered by the, the sense of ownership, the sense of entrepreneurialism and connection to the brands. So I literally, uh, I, I uh, was uh, doing some store visits with one of our regional leaders and we went to about four stores in one day and just spent time. You know, it wasn't a very formally structured agenda. I just wanted to hear from them. What do you like about your role? How can I better support you? Uh, You know, what things are going well? What are some of your challenges? So I think every leader, regardless of the organization you you work in, you got to spend time with those who are closest to your consumers or the people you serve. That's that's great. We call those walkabouts. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah. So it's and you and you're listening and you're really being authentic and human, which which is wonderful. Why do you call it E I N D versus D E N I? What I like about that is that, you know, it gives me the opportunity to say we lead with equity. Because the way we think about it and the way we define it is equity is actually the the aspiration and the outcome. Inclusion is the strategy. And diversity, quite frankly, is a reality. I mean, the world is changing. The world is diverse. I mean, that's just the reality for all of us. And we have to make a a strategic choice to be inclusive. So inclusion is the strategy. But at the end of the day, what are we trying to get to? 
what's our, what's the end game, if you will, if there is such a thing, it's equity. So I like the fact that we lead with equity as our aspiration. That's beautiful. That's really, really great. Let's take it one step back because some of our listeners may not know how Tapestry came about. Yeah. So could you could you please share that? And, and then we'll go down more of the social impact and inclusion paths. Yeah, I sure can. So, you know, again, uh, the, the creation or the formation of Tapestry precedes my time here. But from what I've learned about, uh, you know, what the company was thinking at the time and even leading into the name of the company is, uh, you know, there was a search for a name that reflected the shared values across all the brands, the values of optimism uh, innovation, inclusion. That was the commonality across all of them. And, uh, the corporate identity was, was designed to embody a creative brand led, but consumer focused business while representing, you know, the heritage of each of the groups within the, uh, the collective brand. So, you know, one of the requirements, uh, for the new name was to demonstrate inclusivity. And I love that. That's another thing that's, that jumped out at me, Carol, was I was interviewing with different companies that so much of what, what was happening here at Tapestry really stood out at me. And just even understanding the company name like Tapestry. Right. It's beautiful that, name. That's kind of yeah. like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a unique corporate name. And, um, at the time, the CEO at the time really defined Tapestry as, individual threads of different colors uh, that all work together to create a picture. And the way we talk about tapestry now today is that it's made up of many threads that are woven into one story. And as a, somebody who does what I do for a living, how could you not get juiced and excited <laughs> by that? I'm like, you know, if you're going to make, it's one thing to have mission, vision, values, but if you're going to make the name of your company based on that definition and that foundation, you have to live up to it. So I'm like, I'm there. <laughs> so yeah. I hope you didn't show all your cards when they were recruiting you. <laughs> <laughs> hope not. No, I hope not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, that, that's, that's a lovely, lovely story. I know in some of the materials is that, uh, let, let's go into D-E-I-N-D a bit. In your materials, you talk about difference sparks brilliance. Yeah. Which I just think that's another kind of, it's an outpouring of the tapestry name, and, and I love it. Um, let's talk about the purpose of tapestry, um, to stretch what's possible. Um, where do you know about how that came about? And then, you know, again, how does it lean into and support the key brands? Because each brand has its own approach. Again, when you think about those threads and you think about them being woven together and you think about fabric that can stretch, right? So stretch speaks to how, you know, our differences challenge and, and pull us in new directions. And, you know, those differences compel us to look, you know, quite frankly, beyond ourselves and embrace new perspectives and experiences and ideas, right? And, you know, when, when you think about the concept of what's possible, that refers to what happens when we actually embrace those divergences within each other, our industry and society at large, quite frankly. So when we talk about stretching the, um, uh, you know, stretching and what's possible, that I think that really gets to the heart of what that really means for us as a company. Can you share with us, our listeners, about how each of the brands, Coach, Kate Spade and Stewart, they have their own approach under the umbrella of stretch what's what's possible? Yeah. And, you know, I'll talk about that, Carol, in the context of um, our social impact work. Right. So, um, again, my remit, I have direct accountability for the Tapestry Foundation. 
uh, the Coach Foundation, my team, me and my team do. And uh, the Kate Spade New York Foundation has a dotted line report into my team. So we work very closely and collaboratively. But uh, from a Tapestry Foundation perspective, you know, we try to invest in solutions that, you know, creatively challenge social environmental issues that transform livelihoods within our organizational ecosystem and also conserve the land where we do business. So we have a three a three pronged strategic focus at the Tapestry Foundation level, and that's climate, equity, and our people. And then from a coach perspective, Coach and the Coach Foundation support global philanthropic uh, you know initiatives that help us break the cycle of inequality and inequity, and really seek to empower the next generation to reach their their full potential through education. So that's a big part of our focus there. And with one of the signature programs being one that we call Dream It Real, where we uh, are about halfway through achieving our goal of providing uh, 5,000 scholarships to young people globally by 2025. Uh, from a Kate Spade New York Foundation, they are a global leader. Uh, as I as I think about it, and I think we've documented they're a global leader as we think about, you know, bringing the intersection of women's empowerment and mental, and mental health together. So... Um, and that foundation, the mission is empowering women and girls with the focus on mental health. And uh, they've been working on that for over a decade now. Uh, one of the uh, the key signature programs there, just one of many, one of several, is uh, one that I think we probably share a little bit in common. It's called On Purpose. Okay. And uh, that's a uh, initiative we have in Rwanda that's really helping empower women and provide them economic uh, independence and, and stability there. And I have to give you lots of credit because all of these, uh, the focus, which is really important, you have flexibility in a framework and stretching what's possible, but you're also very focused. And I like the fact that Kate Spade's, been, you know, been doing her on purpose work, albeit thank you for taking my name, but <laughs> for for a decade. So I think that that's great. I noticed um, also in reading background that there's there's circularity happening. And I saw it in um, Kate Spade because they've got a, a thread up relationship. And I also saw it in Coach and they have their reloved program. So I, it's not just because I think people might say, well, you know, they make beautiful designs and every season I need a new but I think the great thing about tapestry is that you are sensitive to one, you know, not overconsumption, and so that so the circularities. Can you touch upon both of those programs? Yeah, you know, I talked about um, you know being good stewards of the environments in which we operate, right? And that certainly is a part of it. One of our more recent rollouts, you may I'm not sure if you're familiar with it yet, is Coachtopia. And that's where we're actually designing new products from 100% recycled materials. And uh, it's taken off like wildfire, wild, wildfire, Carol. We've already, I think when the uh, uh, the uh, line, the Coachtopia line of products were initially launched, they sold out completely. We're already on our second generation of products from launching that just uh, not too long ago. So uh, we know that it matters to our our consumers. And it matters to us. So you know, we're very focused on one, how can we extend the life cycle of the products uh, that people use and the materials from which they're made? And also, how do we contribute back to the environments in which we uh, in which we operate? 
And I think that's really wise. And I know that um, in your investor day materials, which are gorgeous, by the way, I mean, I wouldn't expect any less, but they were beautiful and very clear um, that you talk a lot about, you know, aligning and understanding the values, um, especially of your Gen Z and, and younger millennials. Do you know the do you know the um, origin story of the circularity programs for both Coach and Kate Spade at all? I mean, was it an employee that said, you know, I really think we should do this? Or was it your research? Research team that said no. This is where you know our cohort is is going. Yeah, it's really we spend a lot of time understanding what our what's important to our consumers through materiality assessments, um, through focus groups, through our consumer insights. So I think it was a two pronged decision, uh, Carol. One, it was a decision on our part as a company, as a part of living up to our purpose, we felt that it was important, but absolutely it needs to align with what our consumers expect, demand, want, appreciate. Uh, so I would say it's a mix of both. One, a company strategic decision to make sure that we're operating as a good steward of the environment. But we have done a lot of research to validate and confirm with our consumers that it matters to them as well. Let's just talk about the global nature of your brands, because um, you're vast. I mean, you talked about 18,000 employees, but you're what, in 70 countries and your your sales are, you know, 6.7 billion, probably, you know, going up towards 7 billion. But the global nature, how do you take what you're doing, David? And because, you know, include, you know, equity and inclusion and um, diversity is going to be different you know, in different continents and different countries and even different cities. And so how do you how do you really um, structure that? So I mentioned we have four objectives, right, from an EIND perspective. One objective is uh, talent. And that objective is focused on how do we ensure that we're bringing in diverse talent into the company? And once that talent's at the company, how do we ensure that everybody has equitable access to growth and development, regardless of their background or identity. The second pillar of the four is culture. And how do we ensure we have an inclusive culture? As I mentioned before, that's very important to us uh, that we that we understand and define what inclusion means and that we have an inclusive culture uh, globally. The third pillar of the four is community. And we talked uh, a little bit about that. How do we show up as good stewards? How do we give back? And how do we take care of the communities and environments in which we operate? And the fourth pillar, and these aren't necessarily in any order, we try to make sure we're, we're hitting on all four of these simultaneously, but the fourth pillar is marketplace. And how do we ensure that every single consumer who engages us in one of our brands or products has an inclusive experience, regardless of whether it's in one of our physical properties or one of our digital properties, right? So those four pillars, that's the glue that binds us together globally. Every region across the world, whether it's EMEA or APAC or North America, we focus on those four strategic objectives. Now, the priorities, the nuances, um, the, the projects and initiatives that may, that we undertake in each of those regions may be different and will be different, uh, focused on that, that geography, but they're all tied together by those four strategic objectives. And I want to, I want to click down even further because I read in some of your materials that you have, for example, um, 10% of or I think your leadership compensation, the variable compensation, their bonus plan is focused on what, um, achieving E-I-N-D goals. Is that correct? Yes. Did I get that correct? You did. You did. And was that something you did in the first year? Or was that something there and then you're working off of it? 
Oh, I wish I could take credit for that. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I cannot and I will not because, look, you know, to be honest with you, Carol, over the course of my career, I've kind of gone back and forth in my own thinking about um, tying compensation uh, or, you know, having compensation at risk related to EIND because earlier in my career, I think I was always afraid that it would drive the wrong kind of behavior. Okay. You know, I was always worried that, especially when you think about here, and those, those, Think about it from a North American perspective. A big part of our focus is on increasing racial and ethnic representation and gender representation and leadership. So, you know, at, earlier in my career, I was always worried that, oh, wow, if we tie that to compensation, is it going to drive, a t- you know, this tokenism behavior? Yeah. Is it going to drive the kind of behavior where people are like, okay, hey, I hit my numbers without really focusing on the why? Why is it important to have representation? Why is it important to have diversity? Um but I've, I've come to realize over the years that in the right kind of company culture and, and position the right way by leadership, you don't have to worry about that. And and I've come to evolve my thinking to, you know, look, we, we reward and compensate leaders for everything that we think is strategic and everything they're held accountable for. So why not do the same for EIND? So um, that decision was made before I joined the company. And yes, up to 10% of our leaders' compensation or annual bonus uh, can be impacted by not achieving uh, progress or making progress across those goals. One of which for us in North America in particular is increasing uh, racial and ethnic representation in senior leadership. And uh, globally, we're focused on driving inclusion from a gender perspective because uh, gender is ubiquitous uh, globally. I wanted to ask you just something that um, I've been seeing reading in the press lately, and it's not about tapestry, but it's about companies who made their commitments, their DEI, EIND, after George Floyd, and there were everyone did. But then all of a sudden, we're now in, we're pulling back, maybe recession, inflationary period. And I heard a very, you know, disturbing percentage that companies are not fulfilling their commitments. And so what are you seeing first? And then what would you suggest to these to a C-suite who's, you know, needs more support to keep up their commitments? I'm going to be honest, Carol, when after the murder of George Floyd and when I saw the traction, when I saw the momentum globally around, you know, um, uh, racial reconciliation, civil rights, social justice. It was a global movement. There was global energy there. Um, and I remember one of the the, the pastors at uh, one of the memorial services for George Floyd, he said, um, I think we're at the intersection of uh, pain and uh, 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 pain and progress or pain and potential, I think were his exact words. And the pain, we all knew what the pain was. We were feeling it at that time. The potential, what he was trying to get across was, are we going to make this a moment or are we going to really make this a movement? movement yeah. And uh, it is disappointing to see that chief diversity officers was one of the fastest growing professional titles. It's uh, now recently over the past couple of years, it's been one of the fastest in decline. But uh, I have seen a trend towards companies not living up to or, or you know, uh, staying focused on those commitments. But I think, Carol, I think part of the the, the problem is organizations who don't understand this work as a business cap- capability or competency. I say quite frequently that EIND is not a project. 
Mm-hmm. It's not an right. initiative. When I hear organizations talk about their DEI initiative, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I don't have any on top of my head. So the back of my <laughs> neck is the only place I have. Them, but, it. but it makes my hair stand up on the back of my neck because this, this is not an initiative. It's not a program. It's not a project. It's a business capability. And I think the organizations who understand that, like Tapestry, we're not backtracking. We're not going back where we're investing. Well, again, you know, different sparks, brilliance. And it's amazing that I have to go into meetings and talk to boards about ESG and just they're saying, well, but what about DEI? And why is it important? I mean, I'm really surprised. Why is it important that we have such diversity in terms of our leadership and then our managers and such? So um, obviously, uh, Tapestry is a very forward-thinking approach that you're baking it in to the core business, your business strategy and such. I wanted to drill down a little bit more in some some specifics, which which, and I'd love you to to um, talk about ERGs, you know, employee resource groups. You've got a lot of them, but you know, lots of companies have them. But I bet you know where to really invest and to help them flourish. So, what insights do you have for ERGs? I absolutely love it. We're we're evolving our nomenclature for the program here, Carol. Uh, to call them employee business resource groups. And there's a reason for that. It's not just being cute with the words. Um, We believe that calling them EBRGs really explicitly signifies the win-win for both the employee and the company. Because that's really, if if you're really leveraging these groups, it's going to be a win-win for both the uh, the employee or associate experience and the company. So we have six uh, currently. And we have about 1,800 of our uh, associates uh, involved in at least one EBRG, about 10% of our workforce. My goal is to get that up to about 20 to 30% over the next several years. Uh, But each one of our EBRGs is, again, they, they put together an annual plan that's focused on and aligned to those four objectives I talked about earlier. Uh, talent, culture, community, and marketplace. So every group, regardless of their their demographic demographic focus or um, their cohort focus, every group has an annual plan focused on those four objectives, and then they 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 massage it uh, based on what their the demographic they're focusing on. I, I think it's brilliant and very strategic. It also it also advances their management and leadership skills. Absolutely. Can we, I would love to go back to a little bit about your social impact and some of the partners you're, you've selected. So when I read that, that WWF is a partner, I've kind of scratched my head a little bit. Um, now I'm sure our listeners are saying, yeah, I'm not quite sure about that either. So why don't you just give us some insights into why WWF? And you also said it was, it's a decade long relationship. So WWF, for those who may not be as familiar with uh, the the full scope of their 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 work and their focus, they are a leading nonprofit advocate in responsible leather sourcing. So leather leather sourcing is very important to us as a company for obvious reasons. They are on the ground on all fronts, working to create systems using markets to stop. This is uh, what I'm very excited about. One of our programs, very excited about to stop deforestation at the onset while working on reforestation and supporting and empowering communities at the same time. So we're doing a lot of work with them in Brazil right now. And, uh, you know, to, to think about the work that 
they are on the ground and we're collaborating with them, them on to stop deforestation and drive reforestation. But here's the, the third leg of that that I think is very empower, very important and powerful. Also empowering those communities. So we are working with them not just to incentivize the different stakeholders in that in that process of supply chain, but also empower those communities. What are some other ways we can support you and to help stand up the community uh, and, and make you want to be a part of this process longer term? Are you also, is it Brazil also because there's a lot of cows and leather coming out of Brazil for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a key market for us. I'd love to ask you two things. One, and they're not related. One, you were a Marine. Yes. And I'm curious about any of your Marine training, which is a lot. Has any of that helped you in terms of your shaping these new roles in terms of EIND and social impact? One of the things that the Marine Corps instilled in me and taught me is that you're only as good as the weakest person in your unit. And when you think about from an EIND perspective, again, going back to, to what I mentioned and our, how we think about and how we define equity, that we're only as good as uh, the weakest uh, uh, you know, individual in our ecosystem or the weakest part of our ecosystem from an employee perspective. We're only as good as um, you know, the, uh, the experiences that our employees have with us. That, that's great. That's a, that's really, really great. Uh, I'd like to end our conversation where you're giving three, you've given a lot of pearls of wisdom, so it's been great. But, you know, you're, you're going to meet a colleague. Um, they're not as, you know, they're not down the road where tapestry is, but you want to give them advice. And it could be anything from e, E-I-N-D. It could be from social impact. But what are the two or three things that they really should take to heart? I think one, as I as I mentioned uh, uh, earlier, Carol, and I think it's worth reiterating, do not position this work, do not think of this work as a project or initiative. This is a business capability. It is a business competency, no different than technology, sales, HR, engineering, whatever the other business functions you are, you, that your organization has. You need to think of this work in the same vein. And then lastly, I would say find ways to engage and give agency to all of your employees or associates to play a part. This needs to be something that's owned, executed, managed by every single person in the organization. You can't put it all on the CEO's shoulders. You can't put it all on your chief diversity officer's shoulders. This is really about engaging and giving agency to every single employee in your company. And uh, I think employee business resource groups are a great way to do that. Anything else you'd like like to add in terms of uh, just ending this great conversation? I would say, you know, the last thing I would like to add, Carol, is when you think about this work and the way that we approach it at Tapestry is that, you know, it's a continuous learning process. It is hard. You can't be afraid to lean into the difficulties. But uh, I, I think at the end of the day, I ascribe to a quote from the late great Maya Angelou uh, that once you know better, do better. And that's that's the uh, the mantra that we all should undertake in this space. We're all going to learn. Things are constantly changing, but it's not just about knowing what's better. You actually have to do better. That's fantastic. You're in a wonderful organization and you're shaping your career and its impacts in every single way and day. So congratulations to you. I'm thrilled that you have shared your journey and we look forward to hearing continuing great achievements from you and Tapestry. Thank you, Carol. It's been a pleasure. I thank you for having me on. 
This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cone on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.